When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. And welcome back to another Buckeye Talk. It's a rapid fire. Doug Marie said Stephen means. We did a big NIL one a couple weeks ago, Stephen. We did a recruiting one. This is football. This is football. This is football. Uh, a little nonsense worked in because we always like to do that. But a lot of people from our tech subscription service with a lot of really good questions about the Ohio State. Buckeyes, and let's get to one that I just, I love the framework of this. It's a simple question. It's kind of in the news. It makes us think. Our texters are so smart about this stuff. From the 937, more likely to be the next Ohio State football coach, Brian Hartline or Marcus Freeman? This is a fantastic question because, you know, People know the discussion, Stephen, we've had here. Hey, maybe one day Ryan Day goes to the NFL. I don't know that we're thinking about you're not going to have another head coach at Ohio State for 25 years because Ryan Day is going to coach here until he retires. These are two young former Ohio State players. I will just let us know that Marcus Freeman is 36 and Brian Hartline is 35. And you may also go off the board here if you want. You don't have to just pick between the two of these if you think they're terrible options. Yeah. I'm all in on Lincoln Riley leaving USC and coming to Ohio State in seven years. But what do you think of this question from the texters? I love it. And I think part of it is because our texters and pretty much every Ohio State fan wants people to just rag on Marcus Freeman right now because it feels like every couple of weeks he said something to tick off Ohio State fans. Um, so I'm going to use some logic more than just emotion. I think Ohio State unlocked something with these offensive-minded head coaches, whether it was Urban Meyer and how he just – it was perfect. Him and Braxton Miller was a marriage, a match made in heaven, and JT Barrett to the same extent. And now you bring in Ryan Day, and now you've really got the quarterbacks and the passing game going. I don't think you want to disrupt that with where college football is. And Brian Hartline is learning on the job very fast, very quickly, and very seamlessly – there are some personality things that need to catch up with that because he very much hates having to do the press conference talk. He loves like having off the record conversations where he can just speak freely. So that's got to catch up. But I do think there is real potential with him as a head coach and Gene Smith probably won't be making the next hire. Let's just be honest here because he's so old. 
but whoever the next AD is, um, whether they're in the building or not right now, you saw hmm, hiring from within, from, from a head coaching perspective, worked once, and Brian Hartline is already showing you a lot of those traits. Why can't it work again? Especially with when it, this time it would be with someone who played here and is from here. And so there isn't the, the Michigan game rolls around and we're going, hey, Brian, I know you weren't invested in the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. How did you get introduced? It's really interesting mm-hmm. the way Ryan Day got hired opens up every possibility here because there would have been a time Stephen would have said, well, is Brian Hartline really going to be the head coach at Ohio yeah. state without ever being a head coach somewhere else? And it's like, yeah, he could mm-hmm. be because the, this guy is, and it seems to be going pretty well. I also think it's a lot of what we talked about when Brian Kelly left Notre Dame and you have a guy in the building. It's like, don't let the guy out of the building. Is Marcus Freeman 1,000% ready in every aspect to be the head coach at Notre Dame? I don't know. He might be a little young. He might be a little inexperienced for that job, but there's a lot there. You don't want to let him go. Oh, let him go be the head coach at Pitt, and then we'll bring him back in a couple of years. You may never get him mm-hmm. back. So the same thing with Brian Hartline. Well, Brian, if that would happen, would Brian Hartline be 1,000% ready in every aspect to be the head coach at Ohio State? I don't know, but do you want to let him out the door? Did, you, did Northwestern want to let Pat Fitzgerald out the door? I think you have to keep special people in the building. I think you make a really good point about the offensive head coach. And I do think the sooner it would be, if it's just like rolling here, if it's rolling offensively, they're the number one offense in the country or one of the top two if USC gets going. They are recruiting quarterbacks and receivers. Ryan Day is the head of the snake, but Brian Hartline is right there. Mm-hmm. as the vice president of the passing game and the president leads, you might just make the vice president. Like if it's just keep it hot, if it's a little more down the line and like Hartline's still here, but he's still never been a head coach. And now it's eight years from now. And Marcus yeah. Freeman is tearing it up at Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman has been in the playoff. Marcus Freeman's made Notre Dame even better than where Brian Kelly had it. And Brian and Brian Hartline's still not a head coach yet. And then like in 10 years, it's like, okay, Ryan Day left. Maybe be like, man, Marcus Freeman has been doing this for a decade and Brian Hartline's never done it. Now, I also think, Stephen, it's interesting. I do think at some point, the longer Ryan Day stays, and now we're like pushing Ryan Day out the door. Yeah. Here we are. It's like, hey, Ryan. Yeah. Ryan, I mean, do you think you feel Ryan? Do you feel like you might have to go to the NFL in like three years so Brian Hartline can take over the program because it could be Brian Hartline's time? That's not what we're talking about. But I would wonder at some point, Stephen, if Hartline would leave to set himself up to be the next yeah. Ohio State head coach. I always I had that conversation a million times with Luke Fickle. Do you have to leave to set yourself up for what's next? So again, let's just Luke becomes the head coach at Big Pro, at Penn State. Cincinnati's mm-hmm. open. Hartline says, I'll take it. Mm. Do I think I'm going to be the head coach at Cincinnati for the next 30 years? No, but I want to go run my own program. And now he's, now you're that, right? And it's like, he's got to leave. They'd miss him, but it's almost like, well, he's going away for an internship to be a head coach somewhere so he could come yeah. back. So it's hard right now because I do think, I do think the experience, even though Ryan Day didn't have it, I still do think head coaching experience matters some in this equation because I Ryan day, man, although Lincoln Riley was the same way. Some of these yeah. guys, if they're special, they're special, but I do think it is still is a little bit of an edge to Marcus Freeman. 
it might also depend on where the program is as well, because even with Lincoln Riley and Ryan, with those two, Oklahoma and Ohio State were in a good space to where the new first time head coach could spend the first two, three years going. You could just say, just keep it rolling as you figure it out, as you figure out how you want to lead, how you want to do things. Just keep don't if it ain't broke. Don't fix it and prove it when you're ready to do that. And we're seeing it now with Ryan Day. He's adding his improvements and it's becoming more of his program, especially with how people kind of operate and move around that building. Lincoln Riley was kind of the same way. It wasn't really until two, three years in where you really started to see him put a stamp on it. And now he just left. So he gets to go do that, do that at USC. But I think if the program was in, if this was 10 years ago, you needed to go get an urban Meyer. You couldn't hire from within because you needed a guy who knew what he was doing. You don't necessarily need that when one, he's been an assistant coach in the building. So he sees how things works and it's working. So you're just going to keep doing it. So if Friday day keeps these, this train on the track, then maybe you are a little bit more, in a position to hire Brian Hartline six years from now. Um, when yeah. day goes, I love how we put him on the Patriots too. It's that's the only six team in the NFL. He's allowed to co- coach. Yeah. Um, you're in a better position to do that versus if six years from now, this program is downhill because Ryan day wasn't who we thought he was. You probably should go get Marcus Freeman because he's been running a top tier program. It'll be one of the, like Brian, Bill Belichick, it'll come across, you know, the sports center feed, Bill Belichick yeah. announced his retirement from the new England Patriots and Brian Hartline will turn to his wife and say, we're getting this job. Right. Yep. Cause it's like domino <laughs> domino. So I do think it's very possible that Marcus Freeman is Ohio state's head coach someday. So like uh, the idea, yeah. like I, I do think that is really, really possible because I think he'll be good. All of this stuff that's happening now is, is, does not matter. He's standing up for his program and he's trying to out recruit Ohio state. And he's trying to go head to head in the Midwest with the big dog. And Mm -hmm. he's playing it actually pretty well of like, say a thing. And he said, the thing that happened like a a week ago about taking classes and whatever, he said he got misquoted and award got left out. I actually think he's done a pretty good job of say a thing that gets the Notre Dame fan base. Like, let's go. Mm-hmm. let's take it to the Buckeyes. And then Ohio state's like, what are you, what? And then he kind of apologizes to Ohio state, but he's still got Notre Dame fired mm-hmm. up. So he's walking that middle line pretty well. And guess what? That's his job. His main job right now is not be a great alum. His mm-hmm. main job is be Notre Dame's head coach. Now I think he still wants to be a great alum, but it is definitely secondary. So there, guess what, Ohio State fans? There are going to be more times when you're going to be peeved with good old Buckeye Marcus Freeman over the next couple of years, especially maybe in 2023 when Ohio State's going to South Bend. But I, yeah. I actually, it's, there's nothing happening, Stephen, now that would be like, oh, well, no, Ohio State will never hire Mark. No, it's just, it's just coaching. No, man. it's not even disrespectful. It's just because he has to play Ohio State first. <laughs> So it's, and it's on the front of your mind. And he's recruiting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's right there on the front of everybody's mind. But I, I, I kind of wrote it when I wrote a piece about it. It's, he would be, if he wasn't a coach or in the football, he would be great at promoting boxing matches. Mm. He'd be really good at it because he toes the line just enough to tick off the people that need to get ticked off and rile up the people who need to be riled up. And so now we're all a game that already has everybody's interest. I mean, it's top tier. Like, we're, we're more than 80 days from the game, and we're all still talking about that. That's a guy who understands he's a new head coach, and he's got to build buzz for his program, and he's doing it. 
so right now, if we were just making bets, if we were, well, we won't set the odds because we're not odds makers. Mm-hmm. T-Shoe will set the odds for us. If we were just making bets, and it's like, all right, Stephen, the next Ohio State football head coach after Ryan Day, and we'll just make it, you have to only pick one of these two guys. Let me put five bucks on it. Your bet would be who? I would, if I had the bet, I would bet Freeman. Um, but a year from now, if Heartline's coordinator role is more than just a way for him to get a raise, I'll change my answer. So you, I was coming in thinking I'd be Freeman, then you talked me into Heartline. Because yeah. I, I think if I'm making a bet right now, what am I? I'm, I think, well, we don't know when it's going to be. We don't know what it's going to look like. And just when you think you understand how something's going to work, it's like, yeah. Game. Did anyone see, you know, like the, the way Jim Tressel ended, the way mm-hmm. Urban Meyer ended? It's like you, start, you think you know what's going to happen, and you always think the coach is going to be here forever when it's going well. And when it's going bad, you think the coach is going to be out the door the next year, and a lot of times mm-hmm. stuff flips. But my assumption right now would be the way the next Ohio State head coach get, gets hired is Ryan Day is good. The offense is good. He leaves for the NFL, and they keep the train on the tracks, and they promote Brian Hartline. So that's why I would pick Brian Hartline. I think there are plenty of other ways that could go. I'm not expecting things to get off the track with Ryan Day, but it might not be quite that easy. So I think Freeman is a really, potentially a really good candidate. But I will buy what you were selling when we started, which is the promotion from within in an offensive world worked last time. Why wouldn't they kind of go to that well again, especially – when the guy's an alum. So I'll buy Brian Hartline as presented by Stephen Means. Now, do you want to go back and buy yourself? Yes. Take your pick? Okay. It's like, I was like, well, you know, I think it's I crazy. sold you on something yeah. and then you had to resell me on the thing I sold you. That's like the game. Yeah, you go like into the convenience <laughs> store and it's like, hey, what are you guys yeah. going to get? What are you guys going to get? You're like, oh man, they have, you should see these taquitos over here. They're mm-hmm. rolling on the little silver thing. They look great. It's like, oh man, yeah, taquito looks good. And then I get to the counter and I look over at you and you have like an <laughs> apple. Yeah. And it's like, I thought you were getting a taquito. You're like, ah, no, I looked at him again. I'm getting an apple. And I was like, my God, I have, I have put my hands all over three taquitos. You talked me into the taquito. So I think it's a, I think it's an interesting question, but I would, I, I, but think about that, Stephen. Because when we, again, when we thought about what happened after Jim Tressel and Luke Fickle got thrown into that, it was kind of Urban Meyer or bust because again, at that that point, it's like, if it's not Urban Meyer, it feels like it might be Bo Pelini or do you somehow stick with Luke Fickle? And it's like five years from now, Marcus Freeman and Brian Hartline, they'd be two of the best candidates for Mm -hmm. a major job anywhere in the country. And they both happen to be Ohio state alums. Pretty good spot. Pretty good spot. All right, let's get on the field from the nine, eight, nine. Do y'all think Travion, Henderson is the real deal, or is it likely his second half of the season slump continues into a second season slump, similar to J.K. Dobbins's second year slump? I think this is an interesting question for the 989, Stephen, because I actually think Trevion Henderson's end of year one quote slump probably does share some things with J.K. Dobbins second year slump which is a little bit in your own head, a little bit forget the home run, take what's there kind of stuff, which makes me think I don't think it will carry over. I'm not expecting Travion to have a, quote, slump that carries into year two because I think he's already learned some of the lessons. But also, as we've talked before, he missed his high school 
his last year of high school football. He carried a big load. You know, that's he was also in a little bit different position from JK. So I am not expecting a similar kind of down second year the way JK Dobbins had. What's your expectation of Travion in year two? I think Travion's going to be really good. I don't expect any type of slump. Um, you pointed out there that he hadn't played football in two years. He was 18 years old. Um, he also was not 100% healthy. He had a knee thing going on pretty much from week five on that he was kind of trying to deal with as well. And then obviously he came out with the concussion thing, whether he was playing with concussions or not. We don't need to rehash that. But getting a full offseason after you've played college football while also – they're not leaning on him yet. They're going to lean on CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith, the Jigba. And he knows that. And also he doesn't have like the JK mindset of, Oh, we're alternating series. So now every time I go out there, I have to try to hit a home run. Cause if I don't, they might not see the ball ball again for another two quarters. One, he's just the guy and Evan Pryor and Mike Williams are just going to have to figure it out behind them. Cause they want all three of those guys to play. But like I said before, they're not leaning on him. And so he can, pretty much have the exact same stats as he had last year. And that's fine. Just be better. He just has to be better on third and two, which I, I, he's given us no reason to think he won't be that. I don't think it's, I, I don't think it's a 1000% guarantee, but as a, if you're an Ohio state fan, and if you're listening to this podcast, you are, it's not, it's certainly not something I think you should be worried about. I think you maybe could be a little curious about, but I would not be worried about, and I just, I just think that 277-yard game against Tulsa and then the way the rest of the stuff evolved with a little bit of a banged-up knee, with a little bit of a, hey, this is a passing game, with a little bit about, hey, man, like I'm, you probably get tired because you didn't play football yeah. your senior year of high school. A lot of, I think, physical things may have then turned into a little bit of a mental thing, but I think, I think that's getting like shaken out. Now. And so I think year two, I think year two, he's ready to roll. One more thing. It's always interesting with five stars, especially when we know they're going to be awesome right away, but they don't necessarily come from the most top tier programs in the world. And so they're used to, I mean, we've talked about it at length. If you go watch his high school highlight, he's basically a a first down every time. He averaged more than a first down per carry. And so there is something to all of a sudden, everybody is as good as you. And whether You know, and I think there's an adjustment that has to have there where you can't just rely on your natural talent. Because even with the Tulsa game, who on Tulsa's team is better than Travion Henderson? <laughs> like, yeah. He's going to do that. It's Penn State game. It's the Michigan State game. It's the Michigan game where all of a sudden, even if Ohio State as a whole is more talented than those programs, one individual person could be equally as talented as an 18-year-old kid. And he's got to get used to that. And that's something that we should see. We, should, we were probably not going to see three yards per carry this time against Penn State. It might be four or five, and then five yards per carry, six yards per carry in 2023 when he's the main guy. I do think also that, that J.K. Dobbins' sophomore season will continue to be an exception to the rule. Yes. Most guys, they continue to get better. J.K. in year two, he's sharing it with Mike Weber. They're running a pass-heavy offense where mm-hmm. they're running a lot of RPOs and they're running the ball out of RPOs, which they weren't used to. The offensive line was kind of thrown off by that. It was at that point, his freshman year was like pretty unusual, and he mm-hmm. really had a lot. There were a lot of things that combined to sort of throw J.K. off a little bit near two, and most of those things aren't present with Travion right here. Mm-hmm. So I think, again, the idea of we have that in our head, it's good as a reference point, but the idea of 
good as a freshman, better as a sophomore, awesome as a junior. And there's no reason to think mm-hmm. that Travion Henderson's path would be anything different than that. This is a little quickie. This was fun. This is from the 206. Doug, my name is John. I know your name is John, John. And my friend Liz reached out to you a while ago about wedding toast suggestions. She gave the toast last night and it was great. Thanks for the input and keep the pods coming. So this is John Porkjop. That's his Twitter name. And his friend Liz had contacted us on Twitter like eight months ago. She was very on top of it. And she said she was doing a toast at the wedding and could she maybe get a little something from Buckeye Talk? to throw into her toast. And it was like, yes, that's great. Yes, that's great. Then like, she did it like eight months ago. Then like four months ago, she's like, hey, just check it in. We were like, yes, of course. Yes, of course. Then like a month ago, she checked in. It was like, hey, just check it in. Just for a month. And we're like, yes, of course. And then last week she was like, the wedding's Saturday. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. So, so I finally did it. And I sent like top five uh, suggestions about married life from Buckeye Talk. And just so everybody knows, number three was try the texts at 614-350-3315. So what an honor. And then just very interestingly, Liz informed me after the fact that John's new bride, his wife, her name is Daria, D-A-R-I-A, which Hmm. is a little, it's a beautiful name. It's a little bit Hmm. of an unusual name. That is my younger daughter's name. So we are always on the lookout for Daria's and John married a Daria. So what, what uh, uh, serendipity. So, um, you know, if you, if you guys have weddings, uh, engagement parties, bar mitzvahs, uh, quinceaneras, anything that Buckeye Talk could provide a couple nuggets, you know, a little, little note here, a little whimsical factoid, you know, a chance to pump up the mm. texts. At your wedding, of course, you know, hey, we'll take that. You know, maybe we got a subscriber out of that. So we were happy to do it. What an honor. Great job, Liz, reaching out. And congratulations to John and Daria. This is a big picture one. It's from our guy, Bill, in Salem, Massachusetts. With a Doug-style question, he says, is this a make-or-break season for the Buckeyes? Championship games should get the cachet for recruits and NIL sponsors and the ability to go national against anybody. Miss the playoffs? And the best case scenario is trestle style recruiting teams. So I like where Bill's coming from here because we are not, I don't want to say a pivot point because I think we're just emerging, Stephen. This is not necessarily a fork in the road, but the road's under construction. Mm-hmm. So right now we're in that part, you're driving down the highway and you guys call them cattle shoots. Like when they bring in the walls and like you're, you're, uh, you're like going down the road and it feels like you're in like a little, tunnel you know like you have the big uh big walls on the sides like when cattle when you run is anyone calling cattle shoots calling cattle shoots um, on the highway? i don't know i just yeah. call them tunnels and walls yeah. well, no, but it's like when you have the big like the four foot high cement yeah, i know what it is construction just... so there's not a roof so you're not in the tunnel but it's like right. you're in that and it's like oh it's all around you so we're in that so you could uh get a little screwed up here like when you come out of construction you want to be able to floor it and get back up to 68. 65, I don't like to go more than three over. I'm old. You want to get maybe that 60. That is such an old statement. Maybe 71. But you got to, but you can want to get able to, you want to get able to get, you ever go through the tunnels? I've gone through tunnels before. And you go into the tunnel, and right before you go into the tunnel, it says remove sunglasses. 
And I always you think do. to myself, how do they know I'm wearing sunglasses? Like, is someone <laughs> watching me? So I think it's just under construction. I don't necessarily think it's a fork in the road. But to Bill's point, a lot is changing right now. Listen, Ohio State wants to win a national championship every year. But for the future of the program, is success this year, Stephen, any more important or valuable than success five years ago before we were in a NIL, um, mostly NIL, but also like, you know, maybe, hey, now it's year four, Ryan Day. Is this year kind of make or break? I don't know if I would necessarily classify it with make or break, but the premise of the question I do agree with. Championships are all, but you're in the North, so it's already a fight in this thing of, it's really important you get kids up here for visits so they see it's more than just cold and cattle fields all over the place. Um, and when you win a championship, it kind of creates a buzz. Winning that national championship in 2014 paved the way for that 2017 recruiting class because those kids were freshmen and sophomores in high school at the time you won it, and Sean Wade popped immediately, and from there you were kind of off. Um, so, yeah, I do think – more maybe than any other year that Day's been the head coach here, winning a national championship this season would go a very long way, especially from a defensive recruiting standpoint, because I don't think anybody's worried about quarterback and wide receiver recruiting at this point. I think you're worried about offensive line and you're worried about just the overall because you it's been unless it's Larry Johnson involved, you're not or a kid in your backyard, you're not getting five stars. So, yes. Here's the, here's the question I would ask. And I do think part of this is the further you get away from Ohio State's last national championship, the further you get away from Ohio State's last national championship. Does it feel like Ohio State is getting anywhere close, Stephen, to the point where there would be a perception that Ohio State can't compete at the highest level? Are we approaching that? Yes, I think it's it's not it's it's in Oklahoma territory where like there is a spot for you in the playoff, but because of how your roster is built, there's not, you're kind of like the, the, the constant four C who's getting blown out. Even if they've won a, won a playoff game recently, it's yes. They're turning into a seven on seven team. If they're not careful here. That's interesting. I, because I listen, they were in the national title game two years ago. They were. And the year before that, they went toe to toe with Clemson in the year that LSU went nuts and nobody was going to stop LSU probably. I don't think they're at that. I don't, if you're a five-star recruit and you're considering Ohio state, you know, they haven't won a national title since 2014, but I think in your head, you would still believe it's very possible that they can, that that's still the ultimate goal, a reasonable ultimate goal. It's on the board for this year. It's on the board Mm -hmm. for next year. It's on the board for 2024 if my goal is to win a national title in my college career, do I feel like I definitely have a good chance to do that at Ohio State? I still feel like that would be true after this season. Now, they go eight and four. But, like, if they if – they, say they lose to Michigan and miss the playoff again, or they make the playoff and lose in the semifinal, I don't think that changes because I think you'd go into next year and say, well, they still have a lot of talent. They still have good coaches. I, I don't – they were in the national title game two years ago. And last year they were there the whole year. And then they lost to like Aiden Hutchinson and Michigan went to the playoff. 
So the SEC is really good. The last three champs have been LSU, Alabama, and Georgia. But I, I don't feel like Ohio State's on the precipice. I don't, I, I don't think I do. I don't like that's so, so let's say that they're, Ohio, kind of, they're stuck in this position where it, what's missing to get over the hump. I think that's different than they get to the point of you keep saying they got to the national championship. I don't think the question is can, can Ohio State get to the national championship game? It's can they win it? And that's a very specific thing of can they get over the hump and what's keeping them from doing so. But again, I guess that and this is ultimately this is this is like forty five percent of all sports conversations in America is how do you define success? And yeah. if you don't win a title, does that mean you didn't succeed? So is it title or bust? And the only team that truly succeeded in a given year is a team that won it all, and everybody else is left wanting more. So everybody listening to this, Stephen, understands that idea. So I don't want to only go down that road. I've sort of always said it's really about competing for a title every year or almost every year. And give me like a year or two where it's like, man, we were out of the race. That wasn't fun. We got our second loss in the first weekend in October, and then we were just trying to figure out if we are going to the Citrus Bowl or not. That's when you get in trouble. That is not what they have been ever. Like they've been like in the whole playoff era. They've never had that. They've been in the mix the whole time. So to say Ryan Day era, semifinal, lead Clemson, lose. Year two, make the national title game. Year three, be favored against Michigan. If you win, you're in the playoff and then lose that game and Michigan's pretty good. I I don't think if they miss the playoff this year, I don't think they'd be on the precipice because, because it's about competing at the highest level. And I think they are clearly competing at the highest level and I think the NIL thing is not necessarily – Stephen, it's an interesting – and again, it's a very interestingly framed question by Bill. I don't know that people who would donate to a collective would be like, well, they missed the playoff. I'm not donating. I don't know that major boosters would be like, well, I was going to you know, do the Ohio State ambassador program and pay – one of their stars, $200,000 to endorse my company, but they didn't make the playoffs. So I'm not doing that now. Like, I don't think that's where it would be. I don't think people would like give up on this program if they miss the playoff again. Again, if they go eight and four, well, if they go eight and four, my God. Yeah, that's a different everything to explode. <laughs> like, that's not the con. We're just having a, no. they didn't win the national title. They weren't one of the four best teams. They were good, but they weren't at the top. I don't think people would like bail from an NIL or fan perspective and so i don't think that would like blow a hole in recruiting from an nil perspective no i think winning it can it's one of those things where it can help you but it can't hurt you because winning it maybe brings in some alums who are not really thinking about it now all of a sudden it's like i want that again so what do i have to do for us to get that trophy again donate to a collective okay here's 10k every year that's my contribution it can do that but then also um i'm going to use another sport to try to, you know, do this a bit. Uh, bowl, the playoff games, I've been to a playoff game before, or two, one or two. Normally, we're there for a week for the playoff game, and then the national championship, what, is like three days in a typical world? You see in the NBA finals, getting to the finals is like a media frenzy, and it's great for those guys' brands and what kind of happens after that. 
So if you're a team who's constantly playing in the playoff, constantly making it to the national championship and winning national championships, there there might be opportunity that comes with that. If you want to think about it from, and maybe I'm overthinking it, but just from a business standpoint, what if Alabama and Ohio state are playing in a national championship and CJ, cause it's going to be in LA CJ Stroud and Bryce Young got paid one day after their bowl practice to go do something. And they got paid $2 million to go do an appearance all because they were in the national championship game. Yeah, that's true. That's the thing where, like, that's the NIL part of this. Yes, amplifies, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a good example. That's not impossible. So, the the, the thing of it is, Bama's Bama, and Bama's going to be Bama until Saban leaves. Whatever happens with NIL, it's not like NIL is going to ruin Saban. So, it's the battle to be number two, and I feel like Ohio State's still in that battle, and they're not going to yeah. pass. They're not going to pass Bama. And they're not going to equal Bama unless they win like three of the next four. So I think they're in a pretty good spot to be in the group with Clemson, Georgia, maybe USC, maybe Texas A&M as the group fighting behind Bama. And I don't think missing the playoff with you this year would knock them out of this conversation. So my general answer to Bill's specific question is, is this make or break? Is it that much more important because of NIL? I would probably say not really, although I, I do think you make a good point about NIL possibilities. The other hard thing about the Steven is would I assign any individual year to say, oh, they better win it this year? No. If Ryan Day is eight years in as Ohio State's head coach and they haven't won a national championship, would you say, well, they probably should have won one? Probably yes. Mm-hmm. So that it's, it's like at no individual point am I like it's make or break. But collectively, at yeah. some <laughs> point, it was make or break and we didn't realize it. But then yeah. the question is, did it break? If they don't make, are they broken? Eight years in, if they don't have a, a national title under Ryan Day, would we look at Ohio State and be like, oh, man, they're not what they used to be? I don't think necessarily. I, I don't think that we would be like, oh, remember the good old days of Urban when they were battling at the top of college football and now they're not? I think they could have no national title under Ryan Day for eight years, make the playoff on a fairly consistent basis, clearly be the best team in the Big Ten, have a couple close calls that disappoints them, disappoints the fans, but still hold their place in college football. I also think that's true. You'd be sort of like, ah, is it a disappointment? Yes, but they wouldn't have dropped to the ninth best program in the country, right? So then was it make or break? Because they're still made. They're not broken, even though they didn't make it, right? So maybe even in hindsight, they'd still be okay. Yeah, like what think, breaks them? What breaks them is going nine and three every year. Well, you know what? Yeah, we're almost entering. I think we've had a similar discussion of like, would you rather be LSU where you get one great year and win a national championship, but you suck every year around it? Or you rather have this where right. it's a headache that you're not winning a national championship, but at least you're in that position every single year. What's going to end up happening is the hindsight thing where we go, man, they missed the opportunity. But there's going to be a reason why you miss that opportunity, whether it's something that happened in a specific game or a super team came up out of nowhere. Nobody was thinking about. So it's you don't want to make excuses. You just want to tell the yeah. truth. And sometimes the truth can sound like an excuse. Yeah. No. And the thing is, I wonder if you ever did feel like something was breaking. Would you know it or would you only know it in hindsight? Mm. Right? So but I would say, no, it's not a make or break year. It's not a make or break year. They could have the exact same year they had last year. Two losses, not make the playoff, and they'd be fine. 
I think they would maintain yeah. their spot in college football and they would be fine. Good question, though. From the 937. This has been on my mind since Georgia broke the draft record this past draft. I really feel like there's a potential for this to happen, but I want to know what you guys think. Could Ohio State break the record in the 2024 draft headlined by the current sophomore class? I know it would be a lot, but add in a couple current juniors, and I think it could happen from the 937. So one of the things is that on the SEC preview, Stephen, that we did on the College Football Survivor Show recently with Mike Rodak of AL.com, he said he thought Alabama could maybe have 20 guys drafted in the next draft, which would smash the record of 15 that Georgia set last year. So by the time we get to the 2024 draft, it might not be the current record. But the thing I like about this question, Stephen, is we have the Texers leaning in hard to, yeah. will 2023 Ohio State be the greatest team in college football history? That's a hard lean. It can't only be – usually what has to happen, Stephen, is you have to have a great class of third years plus some guys who could have gone pro and didn't. So they'd yeah. have to keep a couple guys around after this season, you know, that you keep a, a – Julian Fleming, or you keep a Paris mm-hmm. Johnson, or you keep a Josh Proctor, or you keep a guy. It's like, well, man, that's they could have five guys. They had five guys stay who could have gotten drafted. Now you add that to holy moly, there might be 14 guys drafted out of this great recruiting class who are now third year guys. And that's how you get to it. But is this, I mean, is this the reasonable next step of the conversations we've been having about the 2023 season for a while? I mean, yeah, we're gonna if we're gonna get hyperbolic about any year, it's twenty twenty three because we're already off that ledge. Also, what might help? Do you think Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers, when their careers are done, because they're gonna be fifth year guys, right? Are they draftable? Uh, draftable. I think it's possible. I think anything can happen in the seventh round. You know, like, and I'm not like Jason yeah. Cornell got drafted. Yeah, that's right? and that's what I'm thinking of those types of guys. That would help because that's not who we're talking about and thinking about with this conversation, but those are numbers. And what if like you had 18 guys from the guys you expected to get drafted, but then, you know, the Cleveland Browns with their seventh round pick, just take a flyer on a guy from their backyard. And I do think, you know, there's also, do they wind up with a transfer guy or two who comes in Mm -hmm. for one year and then gets drafted? You know, it's like, Hey, maybe Tanner McAllister might count for Ohio state's Mm -hmm. 2023 draft total. Like we have been talking about that a year ago. No, he was right. So I do think my guess would be, I think it's possible. We haven't gone through and counted it. That's really, that would be quite, quite a bit of getting ahead of ourselves. We're like, you know what? Let's just run through the roster. Who's 25 guys. Oh my God. So, I mean, we like to get ahead of ourselves, but that's a little bit much. But I do think breaking the Georgia record is possible. I just don't know that it'll be the record by the time we get to 2024. Because Bama, I do think, has had a couple guys maybe on the defensive side of the ball. Like Mike was talking about, like like Jordan Battle, you know, who Mm -hmm. could have been like maybe the second best safety in this past draft behind Kyle Hamilton, and he stayed. And so now it's like, oh. Well, you get almost like a third of a draft class from the year before, plus this great recruiting class of third-year guys and Bryce Young and guys like that, Mm -hmm. Will Anderson. And now it's like, oh, they have 20 picks. Quick break. When we come back ahead, I should have teased this portfolio. I like to tease. It keeps the people around. A lot of receiver questions we're going to talk about. Talk about Evan Pryor. Talk about Zach Harrison. Talk about the Penn State game. 
talk about C.J. Hicks, talk a little bit about Zaxby's. And when we come back, we're going to get a little bit about a, a little bit of journalism stuff real quick before we dive into the receivers. Next on Buckeye Talk. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. If you want to be a tech subscriber, we'd love to have you. 614-350-3315. Text from the 616. Take us into the world of journalism. Would you rather write a long story, like 5,000 words, or record a long podcast. What is easier? What is more enjoyable? So again, I, you guys might have seen it by now. If you haven't, I, w- I would direct you toward it if you want to give it a read. It's not quite 5,000 words. It's more like 4,200, I think. My big story I wrote for Father's Day on Tony Alford um, and sort of his life, his family, his view on the world, deep thinker that Tony Alford enjoyed talking with him, enjoyed talking with his family. So I just put up one of those. I don't, that like a long story like that, Stephen, that is not a thing that we do frequently because we are so busy doing all the other things that we do. What would you rather do? Do you enjoy the times when you do dive in with a lot of reporting and a lot of writing on a long story? Or would you prefer to just sit down and rip off a two hour Buckeye talk? I mean, I got into journalism for writing first. Obviously, I very much enjoy the longer term because you're telling a story, but you're also learning about people. And that's really at the basis why you get into journalism. I got into sports journalism because I like to have fun. But it's you like telling stories about people. When you learn all these nuggets, even stuff that doesn't necessarily make it into your story that you can now we can text out and you know show in other ways. I love that type of stuff. So I am always on board with the. Let's spend six months, you know, diving into a story that's going to be 4,000, 5,000 words. I'm always going to be for that type of stuff. But a podcast is easier to do that on because now you're just kind of talking. And it's maybe hour and a half, depending on the topic, it can be up to an hour, two hours of prep. And then you get on here and you just talk nonsense. Fuck, I talk. I don't want to learn about people anymore. I just want to stop. <laughs> right that right there is the opinion of someone who is now a columnist, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done learning. I just want to tell you people what I think. I want to force my hot takes upon you, whether you want them or not. Podcasting podcast. I mean, podcasting is, you know, you got to process it. You got to prep yeah. whatever. I mean, it's just so much easier than writing every, I mean, all writers say writing is awful. Having written is wonderful. And I always do this thing. So, so with the Tony Alfred story, and, and here's the thing. I really, I did really enjoy. Again, I do like, I did a big Denzel Ward one a couple of years ago. I, I do like one or two a year. I, I, I sat on Tony Alford's back porch for like three and a half hours. It was great. I loved it. Like I was just hanging out with Tony Alford. He's a super interesting guy. He's a, he's a great guy to talk to. I know you had a long conversation with Tony at an event. Mm-hmm. He's really fun. And then I, I got to talk to a lot of people that Tony knows that Tony has helped that love Tony. And they were very gracious with their time and really interesting. One thing that has really helped is this, like when you have a transcription system back in the day, when you had to do like an interview and then transcribe mm-hmm. your own stuff, the transcribing, it is a, it is a sea change. Cause you think about 
again, I just turned my recorder on with Tony and then, you know, his family members came out and talked, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, had like, I had like three and a half hours of an interview. And if I had to sit and listen to all of that and type it out, I would have thrown my recorder in the ocean. I would have been like, Tony, I lost the sound, man. I can't write. Yeah, we wouldn't have got that story on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> no. So now you put it, in, now you just like upload it and a transcription thing prints out the interview. Mm-hmm. And then also if it, if it's like, Oh, this, the robot. And, and that sounds like, I know it's like, Oh, Doug, you hate robots. <laughs> it's like, I like robots when I can use the robots to my advantage. I don't think my transcription service is going to turn against me and try to murder me. I remember when I had the guy on, the robot professor on, and we were talking about robots. And he was like, well, it's not really that like robots are going to do, do stuff. It's just that like digital mecha- mechanized things will happen. It's not going to be a robot. And I was thinking about this because I was going through the tolls. You know, you have your easy pass and the tolls. Mm-hmm. And it's not a, I just thought, what if, the, what if people are like, you know what? I think we can do better than making a person stand in a toll booth and take your money and getting all those exhaust fumes and stuff. We have a better thing. And what if the answer was just put a robot in a toll booth? And like the robot was like $4.25, but you still had to go through and like hand your credit card to a robot. To a robot. It's like, like, that's not what they did. They just did easy pass. Now you just fly through and it takes the money off your credit card. Welcome to our toll booth. So I was like, oh, robot. So it's not like the transcription service. I don't hand my recorder to a robot. And the robot's like, I will now type this out for you, human. You just put it in and it, your your interview pops up and it's wonderful. Oh, my God. It saved so much time. I want that now. <laughs> no, actually, I don't want that because then we're a closer step to, hey, robots, <laughs> go cover the college football game. No, I know. So, like, yeah, I don't want it's not the robot. I don't want a robot transcribing it. But if it's yeah. just, if it just pops up on my screen. Great. Yeah. So that was that's a lifesaver. That's a so such a, a lifesaver for anybody who use that kind of thing. Otter AI is what I use. Otter. I also saw otters up the zoo the other day. Otter may be the best zoo animal. They're so funny. We were talking about we think in 25 Anyways. years it will be penguins are good too. You could do this with penguins too. We think it'll be common that people have otters as pets. And then you just build like a little rock slide in your backyard and you should look out your window and the otters are going down the slide. What's better than that? But you also could have a penguin. So 25 years, penguins and otters will be common household pets. That's our prediction after our zoo visit. So writing is hard. And so what I did Sunday morning is I, I thought I was on this trip with my daughter last week. We were touring colleges on the East Coast. And I thought when we get to the hotels at night, I'll sit and I'll write. And we got to the hotels at night, I was exhausted. And I was like, I can't write. Mm. So I didn't write. So it was like, I have to, it's like, there's a deadline. It's a Father's Day story. It's Father's Day. So I got home <laughs> Saturday night. We got home later than I thought. I was writing Saturday night. I was falling asleep on my computer. I was like, I can't do it. So I woke up at like seven o'clock in the morning on Sunday. And I was like, oh, I'm taking like three or four hours. It took me seven and a half hours to write it. So, so I got up like at two o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday. But I always think to myself, Stephen, when I'm writing, I think by three o'clock, I'll be done. I don't know how. I don't know how it's going to work, but it's 7 a.m. right now. And at some point later today, I will be done with this. So did it I, it, it just, it's just, the passage of time. You just have to convince yeah. yourself that time will pass and things will happen. You don't know how. I don't know the specifics. I don't really know what I'm going to mm-hmm. say yet, but it'll just happen. And then it did. You know, my fingers didn't catch on fire. I, my computer didn't explode. I survived. But like that seven and a half hours, not a lot of fun. I wasn't like, yeah. and, I, and I knew what I wanted to write. I had, I had mapped out the story in my head. I knew how I wanted to lead it. I knew the quotes I had. I knew what I wanted to say. And I still didn't want to write it. 
I wasn't like, oh yeah, let mm-hmm. me get that. And I thought it turned out okay. Like I, I wish I could have written it a little better. Tony was great. His family was great, but I didn't like it. This, this right now, what I am doing right now with my mouth. I love Buckeye talk. This is better. It's better. And that, like back in the day, it was like every old sports writer like became a columnist and then they got like a local radio show. And it was like, why do all the old columnists have local radio shows? It's like, cause they no, don't no. want to write anymore. So I would like to write fiction where I don't have to transcribe. I don't have to go through what people say, whatever. I just make stuff up, but I didn't. And it's like, this is like, again, this was a great story, but just the process, the act of writing, yes. we're, ta- we're talking ourselves into the idea of it'll be over soon. It'll be over soon. It'll be over soon. And I never do that as a podcast. I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit down in front of this microphone and in 90 minutes, maybe a hundred, maybe 110, it'll be over. I never think of that that way. I'm like, let's talk. Talk is easy. You know, I think the pro- writing and traveling have some very synonymous things about it because everybody likes to travel. Everybody likes to go places. But the process of actually traveling, sitting in an airport, waiting for your fight, maybe it gets delayed, maybe it doesn't, sitting in a airlocked vacuum where all the smells and all the things are happening, that's not fun. But actually traveling is fun. Writing, I love writing, but sometimes the process of, oh, I have to write 3,000 words. I know what I want to say. I just don't feel like saying it right now. All the smells, Buckeye Talk. I do think the other thing that has happened is because we talk so much now, Back in the old days, mm. before there were podcasts and before there were texts and that kind of thing, if you had something to convey to the world as a writer, the only way you could do it was to write. So you had this energy that built up inside your body. You were like, I've gathered information. I've gathered information. I, how, how can I share it? There was only one way to share it. And so that energy would come out of your fingertips. Now we are sharing information constantly, even though, I mean, Mm -hmm. I I told the texters, hey, I went to Tony Alford's house. Hey, I'm working on the story. I didn't share all the specifics, but we have energy releases Mm -hmm. all the time. So this happens all the time. It's like I have all these book ideas in my head and I'm constantly talking about them. Everybody's like, would you shut up talking about them? Because the energy dissipates because you want, when you have things, you want to get it out into the world. And this podcast is a way to get it out into the world. And so back in the day when you only could write, you had, I think, more energy to your writing. Mm-hmm. Now it's like we're podcasting, we're texting, we're writing a lot of little stories, and there's not as much energy. I still think there are times, there are some of these like writers, it always ticks me off. But everybody goes crazy. It's like, oh, that story. Oh, my God. Oh. And it's like mm-hmm. the person writes four stories a year yes of course it was awesome they have a full-time job to write four stories a year we write four stories in five hours sometimes so yeah yeah, it better be good yeah like what like right thompson everybody goes crazy for right thompson all the time he's great i get it but he writes like four stories a year it's like what do you write about ah he went to india what about cricket it's like sweet deal. You went to India for three weeks, rode around in a taxi cab and wrote about cricket. I'd do that. I can do that. They got him here. Now it's going to sound like I'm ripping Ray Thompson. I'm not. I'm just jealous. But I'm ripping him a little bit. I'm ripping the people who get to write three stories a year. And everybody goes, I'm, rip- I'm ripping the people who go crazy for that. Oh, oh, my God. 
Ah, oh, that story. Ah. Yeah, I get it. Like Urban Meyer got hired and Wright Thompson was like, I'm Wright Thompson. I want to write a story on Urban Meyer. Like Wright Thompson like rode in the car with Urban Meyer to like go out throw out the first pitch at a then Indians game. I know everybody was like, oh my God. This Wright Thompson story is like, put me in a car with Urban Meyer. I can do that too. But I can't get in a car with Urban Meyer the year he gets hired because I don't work for ESPN.com. So like that's the thing. It's like give just give us all opportunities and then let's see what we can do. But give me three months to write a story. No podcasts, no texts, me in my room with a cricket bat thinking about all the things, the memories of my father, and I'm going to write a story about it. It's going to be pretty good, too. It's not our job. So now I'm just being a jerk. Now I went from no, talking no, about no, journalism, no. just being a cranky. Jerk. I know you're being Doug, man. I, when my gift to you when you retire is I'm going to do a list of the top 10 favorite Dougs because oh. you've got different types of Dougs. Oh, going like on. That. I look forward to that. And like competitive Doug is always mm. fun. And the reason why competitive fun is always fun is because it comes out randomly. Yeah. Like when we were, you, you remember the Ohio State Nebraska game in 2020 when you asked somebody to a question off? <laughs> Don't. I, I can feel. Talk about energy building up. It was I'm special. Getting, I'm getting it was like, angry. hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Meet Doug. <laughs> I can feel my rage. Rage Doug is probably number one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's high. Bama. Rage Doug is Bama. He's always angry Bama. <laughs> oh, that's a lot about journalism or something else. All right, this is about rap. From the 616. How many retweets would it take to get French Vanilla and Steven's rapper name to record a track together? What are some lyrics we could expect to hear? Note, lyrics about eating an entire pizza or love for Joel Platt will receive bonus points. I will say one of my favorite things still that has happened from this podcast is when we were talking about yeah. Die Hard and someone put your face on Kevin Hart and my face on Will yeah. Ferrell. Not, not, not Die Hard. It's not Die Hard. What's the Whatever movie? The name. Get, um, hard. Get Hard. Yeah, Get, Get Hard. Get Hard. Um, yeah. And it was like, they, they did it so well. And it was like, that is it. Yeah. I'm Will Ferrell and you're Kevin Hart. But uh, I think Ken is there. I think it would be funny if it was like, I was doing like, dad rap you know and i'm doing like lame old guy rap and then i don't know have you ever laid down a track can you rap in college yeah it's kind of a rite of passage all right everybody no one's gonna find listen don't go searching for it you're not gonna find it the lost Stephen (laughs) (laughs) tracks oh my goodness so everyone goes through so if you're a generation it's like you get to college you're a sophomore in college you have your major but you're like 20 percent thinking i might be a rapper Yes, it's definitely you're bored at two o'clock at somebody's dorm room. You just go, yeah, I'm fun. Somebody starts rapping. It's like, yo, you could really do this. And I'm like, hmm, should I drop out of school? <laughs> uh, this is all I want to do. What 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 kind of Doug is fine? Stevens rap track, Doug. That would be a, that's going to be. a. High, oh, oh, that's high. definitely going to be on the list. It's not quite dad, Doug, but it's like it might. Oh, that might fall under old white man talk. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we hit the white man buzzer. Yes. I do the old white man buzzer. I do think we could, I would, we could do a rap. We can write a rap and we could record it. It's, it's on the table. Maybe for like a special episode, like maybe 10 years of Buckeye Talk or something. Hmm. Um, if we have a reason to do it, we can do it for charity. We can do it for someone's wedding. Uh, <laughs> so, hey. Just, yeah, hire us. <laughs> you, you know what? You asked us to write a little toast. Instead, we're here to rap. Rap. <laughs> At your wedding reception. 
Uh, yes, we we Sign up for the take. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, that's putting that on the back burner, but we're definitely yeah. going to do it at some point. This is, I've talked about this before, I think. Again, we're just a little journalism world here. we get out of it in a second from the 513. It's RJ. If you had one Buckeye story event you covered that you could redo, what would it be and why? How would you cover it differently in hindsight? So I, I think I've talked about this. Um, I was talking to people about the Dr. Richard Strauss story very, very, very early. Mm. And I blew it. And I kind of didn't know what to do. I kind of didn't know if it was true. I didn't exactly know how I was going to go about trying to find out if it was true. Um, I had multiple conversations with the person. I had a conversation. I was driving back from my parents' house one time at two o'clock in the morning on the interstate. And I got a call and I had to pull over on the interstate and talk to somebody. And it was so, I mean, it's such an unbelievable story in a lot of ways. And I just was kind of stymied. And as someone who was like, well, my full-time job is like to cover the sports of this. I just don't know how I could do this. And then it went to like NBC News and then it was off to the races. And I, I, if I had handled it better, if I had sort of stopped what I was doing and tried to dive in on that, Listen, the information got out. That's the most important thing, right? There were journalists who did do this story justice and handled it correctly. And it got to the point where we got now where um, the victims of Dr. Strauss and the people who were wronged in that situation are being compensated. Their stories are being heard. Hopefully lessons are being learned. There's lots of George Clooney's doing a documentary Mm -hmm. on it. Like a lot. I would never have imagined that it blew up this way. So I don't walk around thinking um like my failures there did not stop the story thank goodness Mm -hmm. so that's one thing it's just like oh could i have quote broken that story maybe like like maybe you could be in a Clooney documentary so so do i but like do i think about that or like have huge regrets about that man i get to be on a podcast five days a week i'm good it's all good i have pink headphones on so journalistically i blew it there and so I, I kind of wish I had done better, but that's the one that's probably going to stick with me forever. Steven, you got anything? Not from Ohio State perspective, just because I haven't been doing this long enough. I mean, there are some things that I maybe could have checked up on better um, and not been so hindsight, especially with the Quinn Ewer stuff. Um, but also the relationship I have with the guys, the people in the building now, it's obviously stronger than it was at that, at that time because we were coming off of COVID still. And also I'm older, I've been doing this for a while. Um, I do have one in college, though, uh, because I was a sports editor for two my last two semesters of college. And it was like a Tuesday of my last semester. And your last semester of college is always fun because you're stressing out over trying to graduate. You make sure you have all your ducks in a row and all that stuff. And I got an email from a lawyer at like 730 in the morning, which is, first of all, People of the world, hear me, hear me. Do not text college. Do not email college students before 10 a.m. Just don't do that. I promise you, don't do that. Especially ones who are trying to graduate because they've been up since four and the last thing they want to do is read emails. And the story ended up breaking. I ended up getting the chance to break the story anyway. But the way it broke, I didn't, I rushed it and just kind of went with what was there. And knowing what I know now as a professional journalist, I think some things could have been handled differently. But the whole point of it was, there was a baseball player who was who had sexually assaulted a softball player. 
and the baseball player was the son of the softball players uh, of, of the softball head coach. And so oh. I'd been hit. Yeah. I'd been covered up for a couple of years now, but like she was ready to talk and they, they had taken them to court and they wanted this information out there. And as a student still learning, I didn't necessarily get all the information I needed to get before I ran with it because I was so busy in the mode of like, I just want to break this story. I just want to break this story because it's cool to break stories. And I wish I would have handled that better because that's not a sports story. That's somebody's life. Yeah. Yeah. And that is all the things. There's always a more difficult one. Sports. It's like, it doesn't mean we don't want to get it right. It doesn't mean we should be held to account if we get it wrong. If we report on something from a sports standpoint Mm -hmm. and we get it and we don't do it well, but when it's the real world, it's just like the stakes are higher. So you do learn lessons from that for sure. All right. Last little one here quickly. From the 513, this is RJ again. He had some good questions along these lines. If advanced local media guaranteed you a 50% raise in a spot covering the Buckeye beat for life, but in exchange made you cover one other sports beat for a year, which one would you choose? Stephen, what would you pick if it was like, all right, you got to go do something else for a year? I would go cover LeBron James' last season. Well, but what about for Cleveland.com? You oh, for Cleveland.com? The Cavs. Yeah. yeah. The Cavs. I'll go the Cavs. Yeah, pretty easily. Would you at some point like to cover the NBA in your career? I would. Yeah. I, I, I love college football. I love doing this job. I love the people I do it with. I just think because it's 82 games, there's more legway for the interesting detail stories of, Hey, I paid attention to this subject for five, six, seven straight games in a row and was asking people about it while with football, especially college football, it's just set up in a way where it's like every game is live or die. And so you can't focus as hard on that type of stuff because we're so focused on Ohio State only beat Tulsa by 14 points. What does that mean for their playoff chances? That's a good point. That's well said. Uh, I, I'm so out on baseball. I covered baseball as a baseball mm. writer for four years. Um, the Guardians mm-hmm. are having a good season. 162 games is a long time. Baseball has gotten really boring to me. I know to some mm-hmm. people it's still a sport they love. I just don't anymore. I would do it. Uh, I, I guess I would do the Browns. I'm also like having a very hard time with the Browns right now because mm. the Deshaun Watson situation, and by situation, I mean the multiple civil suits against him claiming sexual assault and more keep getting added, has just really made me like not want to think about the Browns. And mm. I can't imagine the people who love the Browns, who grew up with the Browns, who the Browns are their favorite team, who the Browns are a huge part of their life. I'm sure there are some people who are absolutely feeling that some people may not be feeling that. And that's great too. But I I love like the roster building and trying to be better and acquiring guys and who's going to play and how does greedy Williams, how do you fit greedy Williams and Greg Newsom and um, Denzel Ward is one of them going to be a slot corner. And how much is Jeremiah, Jeremiah Wosu Koromoa going to play this year? Who are the defensive, defensive tackles going to be? And they got rid of J.C. Treader, and they're going to play Nick Harris at center. That's a big deal. How's that going to work out? Are they going to sign Kareem Hunt? I love all that. And the Browns are super interesting there. I'm like, I'm just not interested. In t- I'm not into it because Deshaun Watson hovers over everything. So, but I guess I would take the Browns. Um, like from a big picture standpoint, I love some of the interesting individual sports, not golf. <laughs> Boxing is really interesting. Boxing is really interesting. I covered boxing at various times. Boxers are really interesting. The sport is really interesting. Um, I think horse racing is really interesting. I've covered horse racing at times in my career. I've covered several triple crown races and Kentucky derbies. Like jockeys are interesting. I I, I could really get into that. Like that Cleveland.com doesn't have that kind of thing. So um, 
but I, I think some of that stuff, I think some of that stuff is, is really cool. I would love to cover tennis. I think tennis is really interesting from that standpoint, but uh, probably end up being in the Browns. All right. Receivers. I have three questions, Steve, I'm going to ask that are all related enough that we'll talk about them as, as one. From the 614, how confident are you that Julian Fleming will have a breakout year? It seems like most of the fan base in the national media seem very low on Fleming, even though he's had injuries that have derailed his career at Ohio State so far. Me personally, I think he's going to have a better year than people think. Let me lump that with this. From the 616, is it possible we aren't talking enough about Emeka Egbuka? It seems like he's the fourth name brought up when talking about receiver, but I can see Igbuka finishing second on this team in receiving yards. He got on the field the most last year outside of the top three receivers and showed a lot of playmaking ability. He was the number one receiver recruit in his class, and I think his versatility can get him on the field in a lot of different spots. And we'll go here. From the 330, Josh from Orville. Hey, guys, here's my question. Is it irresponsible of me to think that this receiving core will be the best Ohio State has had? Obviously, we all know about Jackson Smith and Jigba, but I think Mecca is going to be very good, and I think that Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be an absolute star with a capital S. Thanks, guys. Okay, that's basically running the gamut of the non-JSN receiver talk. Where are you in how you are thinking about that group right now, Stephen? Okay, so let's start with the Julian part first. <clears throat> I'm intrigued more than I am excited just because he was such a highly rated recruit. And if you ask somebody about him, they say all the right things about what they think he can be here. So that's that one. The room as a whole, we've had a similar discussion. I think this room can be better because it's four of them, especially if all four of them hit. And when players tell you things, you have to listen. Garrett Wilson, you know, my best bud for a couple of years there. Um, I'm actually moving to New York um, this, I'm breaking this live on the air. We're moving in together oh, as roommates. Yeah. yeah, he's going to cover the Jets for <laughs> Cleveland.com. He's going to cover yeah. Rucker and Garrett Wilson and just yeah. tear it up. That's it. I don't cover the Jets. I cover Jeremy Rucker and Garrett Wilson and report back to Cleveland.com. Um, he went on the Pivot podcast, um, which is new Ryan Clark and those guys, and Fred Taylor um, and Channing Crowder. It's a great podcast. You guys go check him out. And Every time somebody asks Garrett Wilson about these receivers, he gushes over Marvin Harrison in a way that I gush over him. And that's not a joke. So that's every, every time somebody talks about Marvin Harrison, it's even more of a check mark of he might be awesome this year. But he also keeps mis- mentioning Emeka Ibuka, which takes me back to a story Brian Hartline told us during the season about how Emeka Ibuka was pushing Garrett Wilson when he first got here. I don't think we're underselling Emeka. It's just right now, Every time we see the first string wide receivers, it's Marvin at X, Jackson on the slot, and Julian at Z, and Emeka's just everybody's backup. But we're not saying he's everybody's backup in a way that he's only going to play if somebody needs to come off the field. What we're saying is Emeka might be anywhere, depending on what they want to do with Jackson. And so, yeah, there could be a world where Jackson's first and catches Emeka might be second just because he's all over the field, while Marvin Harrison Jr. just leads this team in in touchdowns it's hard because it's possible that all four will be really good but won't be able to show it because they can't all they can all four be good football players they can't all four have great seasons there's just there's not enough footballs to go Mm -hmm. around so there's gonna have to be a pecking order in terms of stats and that will be based on who's playing the best 
right? Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, this guy's tearing it up in practice. We got to make sure we get him on the field more. Hey, CJ notices that guy always gets open. I'm going to feed him, right? So that would be reflective of the ability. I think, and then and the other thing too that hangs in my head is like Jamison Williams, as it turns out, was really good. You would not have known it from his year as a starter at Ohio State because mm-hmm. it was a COVID year, but because Justin threw to, to, to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson so much. So mm-hmm. did that mean, oh, Jamison Williams isn't as good? No, it did not mean that. But he didn't get the ball as much. So there might be a guy who's like, I'm a first round pick. Yep. It's like, yeah, I know, but you have 19 catches. But he's like, but I'm a first round pick. And it's like, we, I'm sorry, but that guy has 61. I don't, I don't know. What can anyone do? So it's interesting, but the idea, Stephen, that we're coming at it from the angle of someone basically asked, are we underestimating Julian Fleming? And then someone else asked, are we underestimating Emeka Puka? And I don't think, I think the assumption right now is Jackson Smith and Jigba is the best receiver or one of the two best receivers in college football. Marvin Harrison's going to pop. Everybody believes in Marvin, Marvin Harrison Jr. There are no Marvin Harrison doubters right now. Mm-hmm. And then I don't think you can believe both Emeka and Julian will have great years. Like there's not enough room. So I think you almost have to choose between those who will pop. I just, I just don't now, maybe they'll both have 34 catches for 611 yards and they'll have the exact same year. Maybe. And maybe they won't throw the tight ends at all. And there'll be a lot of room for all four guys to have pretty good years. But I think you sort of do to me, you are picking right now. So I'll pick a Mecca Google. That's fair. Just for the sake of not agreeing, I'll pick Julian, but I, I am on board with Mecca Buka. 2018, Paris Campbell had 90 catches. KJ Hill had 70. I understand they're slot guys, but the point I'm making here is Johnny Dixon had 42 catches and Terry McLaurin had 35 catches, and he's the best guy of that group. But all of them had over 100 yards, even, if with, even with the stark differences in – usage so it some of this is like how are they going to use guys because is julian fleming just going to be your deep ball threat because if that's the case then maybe he does only have 30 catches but he has 650 while jackson smith the jigba because i'm looking at the yards per catch as the catches go down the yards per catch go up paris campbell 90 catches 11.8 yards per catch kj hill 70 catches 12.6 yards per catch johnny dixon 42 catches 15.9 yards per catch terry mclaurin 35 catches 20 yards per catch so is julian fleming just going to have the terry mclaurin stat line mm, that's possible well, jackson smith the jigba has the paris campbell stat line because they're both great they both but there's also the point, i think you also would maybe look at 2018 and be like terry mclaurin didn't even average three catches a game what are we doing yeah that guy's a number one receiver in the NFL. He was Ohio State's fourth receiver in catches, and he didn't even have three a game. He's Terry yeah. Mc... So um, that's the point of like, well, was Terry McLaurin, like, was he the fourth best receiver on that team? And then suddenly he mm. became NFL Terry McLaurin later? Or is that probably, just how the offense Probably works? no. Probably he actually might have been in terms of speed, route running, hands, mm-hmm go up and get it ability, all those ability, just getting open. He might've been the best guy, but Dwayne was kind of throwing point guard passes. They mm-hmm. were flipping the ball to Paris Campbell. Cause that's how, kind of how they worked it. So I just think, I, I think you make a good point. That's four guys with pretty good numbers. And I think if, if the fourth best receiver on Ohio, fourth best statistical receiver on Ohio state's team this season, whether it's a Mecca, whether it's Julian, whether it's Marvin, whoever, if they have 35 catches for 600 plus yards, that's pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. So I just, I think they might have a harder time doing that. 
because that really was a track meet kind of season. They did run it with both guys, but I think they'll run it more this year. So, I mean, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. We will do an over-under pot at some point where we will put on the record all of our basically predicted stat lines for mm-hmm. all the skill guys. And I think that'll be interesting to look at it that way. That's, this is a deeper, a, a kind of a, an overarching question about some of the stuff we're talking about here with the receivers from the 610. Is there something philosophical to draw if Marvin Harrison Jr. is just way better and more prepared for college football than Julian Fleming in terms of recruiting big schools versus small schools? Fleming is from one of the premier small schools in America, but all the state titles and Division I recruits don't change the fact that Southern Columbia is tiny and plays other tiny schools that an athlete like Fleming is likely to dominate. Even with the off the accolades and recruiting rankings, Harrison is just from a way bigger school that plays better competition week in and week out. And thus we should have thought of him, should we have thought of him as a safer bet? I'm from Pennsylvania and I'm more fluent with the high school scene here, but can you assume that there are similar examples of guys like this in Ohio? Too. So I think this is super smart. This is a really smart question. And I think Jackson Smith and Jigba coming from a big school in Texas where he got the ball all the time also can factor in to something like this. I will say Terrell Pryor played at a pretty small high school in Western Pennsylvania where he looked twice as big and twice as fast as like the, every other player on the field. And he was ready to go when he got here. Right. So You can't rule out Zach Harrison was twice as big and twice as strong and twice as fast as every guy on the field when he was playing at Olentangy or where's he? What Olentangy was he? Orange. Olentangy Orange. So, so like, so sometimes that happens and not everybody lives near a big five, five star school. Not everybody goes to a private school. Not everybody goes to IMG. So you can't miss on those recruits. I think this could have been Steven more of a head to head test if Julian Fleming had been healthy. But I would say in the end, I think you can carry over those expectations to like first year, how much they contribute early, how ready they are off the bat. I don't know that you would extrapolate as much like by year three, does it still matter? But if you were coming in, should, should we have said, hey, who gets on the field faster, Jackson Smith and Jigba or Julian Fleming? Even though Julian Fleming was ranked higher, they're in the same class. Jackson Smith and Jigba catching 100 balls. Texas high school football was probably a better bet for that. But would that have automatically said, well, he'll be a better player in year three, like he is. We don't exactly know because Julian's been hurt. But do you think this, there's something here to explore? And obviously the Ohio State coaches have explored it. They balance this kind of thing all the time. But still, you can't ignore talent just because where you were born and what high school you wind up going to. I actually wrote this exact story a year ago using Julian Fleming and Jackson Smith, the Jigba as the preference. It's, if you guys want to go read it, it's called Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith, the Jigba highlight the different past five stars take on the road to Ohio state football glory. A little plug for my own stuff there. And it's the exact idea. Rankings are also projections of how good a player might be. There's a difference between being talented enough to play somewhere and being ready to do it. And guys from Texas, guys from Florida, guys from California, Arizona, basically places where they can play football year round. And they also play for top tier programs are always going to be ready to play as freshmen at this point. I'm just there. If Ohio state gets a guy, a wide receiver from Texas, it's fair to think he might be able to play now, not so much right now because the room's kind of crazy, but it was not a shock that Garrett Wilson was ready to go as a true freshman because of where he was from. Julian Fleming 
has all the tools and all the talent in the world to get to where he's going to go, but he has to learn how to play football. That's the difference between a guy like Jackson Smith, the Jigba and Marvin Harrison, and even a Mecca and Buka versus maybe a Julian Fleming and a Jaden Ballard is because of the programs that come from, because the area they come from, they were allowed to just be better than everybody, even if they didn't necessarily have the technical side down, but they always knew that when they got to the next level, they were going to have to actually learn how to play the sport and not just be, Hey, I'm a better athlete than you. So I can do whatever I want. While with Jackson Smith, the Jigba and Marvin Harrison, they understand how to work like pros. Marvin yeah. Harrison's the son of a hall of famer. Jackson Smith, the Jigba's brother just got called up to the, to the show. So they, they know how to work like pros. They understand part of what makes Jackson so great in the slide is he knows how to operate in there. He knows how to get open. He knows where to sit in the zone. He knows how to run a route depending on whether he's getting press man or off coverage. Julian Fleming doesn't know any of that stuff. He just knows I'm faster and bigger than you. So just throw the ball up and let's see what happens. So yes, it's, it's why the question almost every spring with five stars, you have to go, Hey, this is the path they had you on. Are you still on the right path? But you have to realize the paths are different based on your yes. background. But you still, at some point, the path leads to the same point. And by like year mm-hmm. three, you got to start it's, popping. It's not as much about where you came from. It's about are you here yes. or not. I would be curious. This makes me curious about some kind of analysis. And I don't even think it would be related to your star ranking. It would just be somehow trying to look at the high school size or what level of did you play in the top mm-hmm. half of the divisions in your state or in the bottom half of your divisions, or did you play for a school that at least whatever threshold you would set your school made the playoff, your school made it to the final eight of the playoff or something. Mm. And how does that correlate to college success? How does that correlate to NFL draft success? Is there anything to the idea of the bigger, the school, the more successful your high school program, the more successful you will be later in your college career. We're saying there's almost certainly a correlation to the start of your college career, mm-hmm. but are you a starter? Are you an all conference player? Are you an all American? Are you an NFL draft pick? Are you a first round draft pick is the first round of the NFL draft filled with guys from huge high school programs or successful high school programs. I'm curious. That makes me curious now because I could see how statistically it might be an advantage that you just have more football in you at a higher level. You're just coached in a different way. The scheme that your team runs, that maybe there would be some kind of correlation, but my guess would be there are a bunch of exceptions where when you go to a game and that's Terrell Pryor, that's Zach Harrison, that's Mm -hmm. Julian Fleming, I don't care if all the other guys on the field are 5'8", 145. That guy's awesome. Mm -hmm. And you have to – there would be – some statistical statistical correlation and then a bunch of exceptions to the rule. Yeah. I, I test and trait matter a lot more for the guy who comes from a small school versus someone who plays against top tier comp- competition every week. But then also uh, does being ready create a gap that's so significant you can't make up for it. Cause it's not like Jackson Smith jig was going to slow down. Right. If Jackson Smith and the Jigba's ahead because of high school, is it likely that he'll stay at ahead mm-hmm. of Julian Fleming? Because Julian spent his entire career playing catch. It's, it's, it's like the conversation we had with the quarterback battle last year. If you're already ahead, can the best the other person do behind you during your college career just keep pulling even, but then you pull right back out? 
Right. Interesting. No, I'm interested. Yeah. No, no, I like it when the texters give us story ideas. I like it better when they give us podcast ideas because as we covered, <laughs> writing is hard, podcasting <laughs> is easy. Uh, run game in the snow from the 205. Thinking of the snow versus the team up north, how critical do you all think it is to establish an elite run game? My two concerns behind this uh, is that Big Ten football is played up north. So snow happens, and when you can't throw it 30 times and you need Woody Hayes uh, style to your run game, your run game has to be able to carry the load against anybody. Second concern, the college football playoff. We run into Bama and Georgia or another big defensive team. Any type of run game changes the complexion of the game. Kirby still can't defend an elite pass attack, and especially when you can run the ball, but we still have a lack of offensive line depth, which could present, which could prevent the run game from developing into something extra special. So I, the, we knew, Stephen, that like this, this is a theme. This is a theme, and I don't think Ohio State can run from it, but I don't think people should get too bogged down in it that when you see ohio state lose on the road in the snow at michigan in late november and you think man they got to run it and then you're like yeah what do we do with all these five-star receivers and heisman candidates a quarterback i gotta run it and it's like well it's it's a lot of people talk about this stuff like with afc north football too it drives me a little, little nuts sometimes like in december it's like most of the time most of the time it's not yeah. snowing during a football game most of the time it's not 40 mile per hour winds blowing the ball sideways most of the time so i don't think you want to go too far with this stuff but you have to threaten people with the run generally but like i don't if the question is like does ohio state sort of need to change its style i think the answer is no because i think we've talked enough on this podcast Stephen, that like when you get to the playoff man what did we say all last year? The best way to beat the Georgia defense is throw over it. You weren't going to run through the Georgia defense. You were going to throw over it, and Ohio State never got the chance to do it. So, yes, you have to be able to do everything. But I think it's okay that even in the Big Ten, Ohio State is leaning into the pass game. I do not think it will be a thing that will come back to bite them in the butt repeatedly. Ohio State's not doing anything wrong from that standpoint. I was listening to you and Nathan's pod, um, the Buckeye Fly Effect one, you were talking about could Ohio State have competed with Georgia and whatnot. And both of you guys failed to mention the fact that since you brought Georgia up here, Alabama was the first top 25 passing attack Georgia had faced all year in that SEC championship game. And we saw what happened. They just lost their best two weapons. And then that yeah. came along later. So Georgia, and it's hard to beat a team twice. So that those two realities are why Georgia won the national title, but Alabama won the SEC title. All these extra parameters of what if it's snowing what if it's windy what if it's raining sideways because it was raining sideways against indiana and cj stroud did whatever he wanted the point of the matter is ohio state has to be able to run the ball when they need to run the ball and that wasn't the case last year it could be 85 degrees and sunny outside justin fry has said it everybody else in the program has said it. when it's third and two and everybody knows you're running the ball you have to be able to convert that outside of anything outside of that is just overthinking this and I do think, again, like the offensive line, they had a lot of – their offensive line was built to run block in a lot of ways last year. Nicholas Petit, yes. Frayer, and Thayer Munford, they're run blockers, right? Yes. Juan Jones, he clears people out in the run game. Paris Johnson, yes. he's a run blocker. So the issue really is they couldn't protect in the pass game against Aiden Hutchinson mm-hmm. and David Ojabo. So, yes, we all remember the, the third down running play at the beginning of the second half where they got stuffed. But most of the time – and there, there's a question that we got that I saved for a future pod. 
balance in football anymore is not run pass. It's just balance in general. It's, it's mm-hmm. deep and short and middle. It's mm-hmm. in tight and out wide. It's not the play. It's the way you use the field and your mm-hmm. weapons. And so do you have to attack vertically every now and then? Yes. Do you have to attack horizontally and spread people out and get defenders moving? Yes. Do you have to throw in the middle of the field at times to test a defense? Yes. You have to do all those things. And I think you have to threaten. You have to have the Mm -hmm. threat of everything all the time, but you don't necessarily have to do it. But if people know you can't run, then that's a problem. Mm -hmm. That they don't fear it at all, ever. That's a problem. But I I don't think Ohio State's at that point. They just aren't as good. They're so good throwing it that sometimes the run game pales in comparison, but they're still pretty darn good running it. And they have the people. I, I do just think with a young back who maybe was getting tired by the end and did they call the exact right play and that kind of thing. I think you have to be careful. We talked about too, as a play caller, you can't get pass happy, right? You've got to keep that threat. You've got to keep that balance in your head at all times. But I would not say if anybody is thinking, The Michigan loss last year is an indication that Ohio State needs to tweak or adjust how it plays offense. I think I would disagree with that. I think their style is fine. Yeah. It's the runs, the run game conversation is more of stopping the run than it is the execution of offensive run game. Okay. Another run game question from the 513. What's the feeling you guys get from Evan Pryor? How much playing time does he need this year to stay? Does he need to be the number two back this year to prevent him from transferring? It's hard to believe that highly of a ranked guy is okay with hanging in the back burner for three years before being the future back. Perhaps a Brian Robinson at Alabama situation. Thanks guys from the five, one, three. So I, I just think realistically, if he feels like he doesn't have a role this year, I would put him on a potential transfer list just because I think yeah. he's a good player. And if in year two, it feels like I don't have a role, then that's hard for anybody. If in year two, you feel like you don't have a role and you're not exactly sure what your role is going to be because Travion's not leaving, then I don't know. If he's the number two back this year and he feels like I have a role and I can be the number two back in 2023 and have a role, then I think that's what he signed up for. And I think that's fine. And my expectation at the moment, we haven't watched any practice in August yet, is he'll be more like the number two back than not. They will use other running backs because they don't want Travion Henderson to wear down. They do want to run the ball, I think, 30 to 35 times a game. If Travion runs at 20, that's 10 to 15 carries for other people. My expectation is Evan Pryor has a role this year that helps the team and keeps him happy. What is your expectation for Evan Pryor? I have been told on numerous occasions over the last couple of weeks here that all three of those guys are going to play. And then when I go, how? They go, just play, just be patient. So Tony Offer is going to get really annoyed in fall camp when I'm asking him uh, carry distribution questions again. But I, he looks bad. He looks like he's ready to play college football, and I won't be surprised if he, if it's weird the first couple of weeks where it's like Travion's just getting the ball, and there's a week where Evan gets it 13 times behind him, and mine gets it twice, and the next week that's flipped. But I would not be shocked. And it has more to do with Evan Pryor than it does to do with Mayan Williams. That by week eight, Evan Pryor is just the number two back. 
I also think a lot of times when they say all three guys are going to play, we mean in games that matter. We mean in situations yes. that matter. So yes. we get it. Mayan Williams might have 15 carries against Rutgers and Toledo, and that's great, yes. and that's important. But when it matters, against good teams and good defenses, what are you going to do? Now, playing backups in blowouts is also part of keeping your starter healthy. So we don't want to – if they literally had a guy they feel like they could, they had no one else they trusted, and it's like – why is Trayvon Henderson getting 31 carries against Rutgers? Mm-hmm. We've been going crazy. So that's not going to happen because they do have other guys they trust. But we mean when it matters, what will it look like? And I, my guess, based on spring ball and recruiting rankings, and that he seemed to have a little something, my guess is Evan Pryor will have a role on the team in games that matter because they do not want to run Trayvon Henderson 30 times a game. But it's just a guess. I think it is on the top – near to me Stephen. all the things that we're going to be looking for in august asking mm-hmm. and trying to get peaks at really what does the running back situation look like behind travion is near the top of my list it's it might be the only interesting thing about the offense right now and it's not <laughs> just it's, it's it's both how you know prior and williams but it's also how close they look to Travion. How big is that? Yeah. How big is it? Does it feel like, oh man, if there's 35 carries, this is going to be 27 and eight. Mm -hmm. Or is it like, if it's 35 carries, ah, this is close enough. I think it could be 19 and 16. And then if it's Mm -hmm. 19 and 16, it might be 19 Travion, 11 prior, five Mayan. And then we're in that world where they all play, but we have to, we have to let it shake out. But yes, we're very curious, but we can't pretend that we know right now. From Mm. the 304, with the size of Zach Harrison, is there any chance he plays a healthy amount of defensive tackle? And JT Tumaloa and Jack Sawyer are the main edge guys. Or is it simply going to be a rotation, but where one guy is hot, he's staying in? We, I, we asked about Zach Harrison at defensive tackle in the spring. Did not get a vibe that it's we, – yeah. we theoretically love this idea. It does yeah. not seem to be something the coaches theoretically love. And so my expectation, given that, Stephen, is some kind of – three-man thing at edge where JT, Jack, and Zach are the sack attack, we can get JT in there. We got to get JT some out. It's not JT's fault that his first name doesn't end in Ack. Um, the JT, Zach, and Jack sack attack. JT, Zach, and Jack sack attack. The sack attack with JT, Zach, and Jack. I, I just think that makes sense. Close, like similar, maybe not exactly equal, but similar numbers of snaps for the three of them by the end of the year, but not really, you know, we get it Rushman package. Maybe somebody slides inside, of course, but we mean like on a regular basis, is Zach Harrison going to be a defensive tackle? It doesn't feel like that's what they're thinking. And I just think those three guys are their three best guys and they'll all play a decent amount. Is that how you're viewing it? Yeah. And I know it's annoying, but you have to throw Javante Jean Baptiste in there as well. He's going to play, but those three, yeah, it'll just be similar snaps for all of them. Um, I do think it's interesting because I don't think because of how Jim Knowles' defensive scheme is, he's going to have to set the edge as much. So he might be a little bit more freed up to just go attack. So I wonder, is there something that can get unlocked there? I'm not saying he's going to have 10 plus sack. I'm just saying as a disruptor, especially in the run game, could he be a little bit more on the edge just because he's not going to be the guy who has to set the edge because Tyreek's the guy who's rushing all the time. But yes, those three should pretty much have a similar amount of playing time and if anything Zach and Jack will have the same amount of playing time while JT takes off on another level because that's a hype train we're all on at this point yeah no I think but I think there's that hype train 
doesn't cut Zach Harrison. No, no, it's half. No, yeah, no. there's room. I think there's room for three starting ends, mm-hmm. frankly. That and mm-hmm. then, but that also doesn't entail one of the ends playing tackle. It's just mm-hmm. they they rotate and they all play sixty percent of the time, and it, yep. it all works out. Um, all right, so this I honestly this is this is absolutely one where I have had this conversation. I can't remember where I had it. I definitely had it with my daughter the other day. I cannot remember if I had it on this podcast. I think we did, but stop me. You have a better memory for this. Do you have a, do you have a pretty good memory generally? I do. I, do. I have an awful memory because there are things that you'll say like, remember Ryan Day last year? And I'm like, said this in a news conference in October. And I'm always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like, thank God you remember that. It's like, oh, I remember when Brian Hartline said this about Jackson Smith and Jigba in March of 2019. And I'm like, what? How do you remember this? Yeah, I've got now, a really good memory. <laughs> what does it mean? So when you have a good memory, it's just you think about something and it's just there. Like, it's just like, hey, we're talking about Jackson Smith and Jigba. And then it's just like in your head. Oh, yeah. Brian Hartline said that thing two years ago. It's a combination. Yes, it's I think people who are overthinkers often have good memories because having a good memory can be a good and bad thing, depending on what the memory is. But then also it's great for story ideas. Because I'll remember something that was maybe just a random thing that was said in a January, you know, postseason news conference. And it's like, hmm, that's interesting. I'm going to ask somebody about that in October. When I try to think of something, it's just a black void <laughs> with some cobwebs in the corner. If it's about chicken fingers, I probably remember it, but not about anything else. So <clears throat> from the 419, Doug, the Penn State-Minnesota game was announced as the whiteout game. This is a couple of weeks ago now. And the Ohio State at Penn State game is on Fox. All of this indicating that it'll be big noon. Ohio State fans have come to expect that their biannual trip to Happy Valley will entail a night game. With this game being played at noon, how much did the Buckeyes championship odds just improve? That's from Evan. So did we talk about the draft order of the networks and why this we've is probably going to be noon? We've mentioned it, but we haven't had like a real conversation. So I think this it. is it. I, this is me theorizing, I think, a little bit, but I think this is it. Fox gets the first pick. Fox always picks Ohio State, Michigan. Usually the second best game, because then, then ESPN yeah. slash ABC had the second best pick. Penn State, Ohio State is usually the second best game in the Big Ten. This mm-hmm. year, it's Ohio State, Notre Dame. ABC, ESPN picked Ohio State, Notre Dame because that game's on ABC. So that's how we know they picked it. They already announced it. So they picked that. That makes Ohio State, Penn State the third game, which that pick mm-hmm. goes back to Fox. And that's why I nobody told me this. I'm pretty sure this is right. But like that's why this is a Fox game this year. And that and Fox wants noon. So they've announced that the whiteout game, which they want to be at night, is Minnesota. So it's not going to be a night game because it was going to be a night game. They would have saved it for Ohio State. My guess is, yes, this will be a rare opportunity for Fox to have Ohio State, Penn State, and they're going to make it big noon and they're going to have the show there and they're going to lean into it because they don't usually get it. But like, that's why, because like, for instance, next year, Ohio State's at Notre Dame. That'll be an NBC because that's a Notre Dame game. The home team mm-hmm. gets the, it's their network. So this Ohio State home game is just like an extra bonus, huge national game. 
thrown into the mix and it knocked Ohio State, Penn State down the pecking order. So that's why it's not on ESPN ABC and that's why it's not going to be at night. Does that sound right? Yeah. Okay. I, it's, yeah, and then Wisconsin and Ohio State will be on ABC as well. We'll see if that ends up being a 330 or not. And so I don't, you know, we don't know all the, yeah, so that was probably the fourth pick. Mm-hmm frankly. So it doesn't, I mean, it's not like they're just picking Ohio state games. It's just, they're picking like you pick the weekend and then you pick the best game on that weekend. And just Ohio yeah. state's the draw Ohio state's. And it's not even about how good they are. It's the draw. It's the eyeballs. Yep. Penn state's eyeballs, man. No, excuse me. Ohio state is eyeballs. Ohio state is eyeballs. So Ohio state is eyeballs. Also ear holes. Thank God. Oh my God. We're so lucky. People love to talk about and listen to Ohio state. Venues. From the 763, what's the most excited venue that you're excited to see for this season? It is a weird schedule. Eight home games, four road games. Love it. The road games are Michigan State, Penn State, Maryland, Northwestern, and then Northwestern. uh, And Northwestern. So, like, that is not a (laughs) huge collection. So, like, Penn State's always fun, but Penn State is more fun at night. Penn State at night, it feels like the stadium's going to collapse. And then, until, like, until it's time to drive home. Yeah, that's true. So, like, Penn State is great. Um, Northwestern is Northwestern. Maryland's Maryland. Like, they are not great. And then it's Michigan State. And, frankly, I don't think Michigan State is great. So, there are none. No offense to anybody. It's fun to go to Chicago. It's fun to go to Washington, D.C. The venues? The, I mean, the answer has to be Happy Valley. It's got to be Beaver Stadium. But it's not the best version of Beaver Stadium. Anybody listening to this, a lot of you have been there. Are you kidding me? 20, 2014 Beaver Stadium? Joey Bosa ending the game with the sack? JT Barrett like going in and overtime into that end zone into the Penn State crowd? Felt like you were in a gladiator pit? That's Penn State. I, this, I just it can't rise to it. I guess it's going to be a stripe out. It's going to be a striped stadium. So that's Ew. fine. So anyway, it's just not a great – it's a great home schedule. Notre Dame, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa. It's a great Ohio State home schedule, which means it's not a great road schedule. Yeah. Um, I was robbed of my whiteout in 2020. Mm. I was not on the beat yet in 2018, so I was very much looking forward to the whiteout. Um, so I was robbed of that. So I obviously, I'm not rooting for anybody. I would be intrigued by the opportunity to go cover the national championship game if Ohio State gets there because it's in LA and I would just love to see the SoFi Stadium. Oh, that would be good. Yeah. That is interesting. That's a crazy stadium. That's where it is. The Super Bowl was there last year. Um, That's a good answer. That might be the best answer. All right. You know what? We'll take a quick break. We have a Zaxby's question, a couple Disney questions, and a CJ Hicks question. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Doug and Steven back. This is our last football question. So after this one, if you don't like nonsense, you can feel free to turn it off. From the 513. I'm interested in CJ Hicks. I, along with much of the fan base, I would assume, want to see him play so bad. But with only two linebackers on the field, is he too backed up behind Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, and Corey Simon? Or Cody Simon. Corey Simon played for the Eagles like 20 years ago. Cody Simon. That's not the texter. That's me. He just said Simon. Or do you think he's going to force the coaches to play him? What's the vibe around the coaches and his teammates? Uh, Steven, do we have a vibe on this yet? Jim Knowles 
talked about him as a football player. So that was my first five. He said he likes his short area quickness. He's very fast. He didn't lose his black stripe in the spring. Only two freshmen did, Kai Stokes and um, I'm blanking. I'm blanking. Why am I blanking? What have um, we just talked about? Your great memory. Yeah, no, I know. I'm we the did. one who blanks. I'm the one who Caden blanks. Curry. Sorry. I was going to say, because I, I was thinking, I said Cade in my head and I was thinking Cade Silver, Cade Curry. Those are the only two that did. I think TJ6 Hicks is still learning. And what happens when the best athlete in the room now knows what he's doing? It might take a couple of weeks or we might get to fall camp. It's like, yeah, CJ Hicks is pretty awesome. And he's the starting linebacker now. But I think, yes, to answer the question, do I think eventually CJ Hicks is going to be playing real snaps for this team? I do. The question is, how quickly does it take him to learn that, what he's doing out there? Because that's what Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, Cody Simon all have over him right now is that they've been here and they kind of know what they're doing as college football players. I always wonder, there's no way to ask a coach this because no coach would actually be honest about it. But are you, as, as a coach, are you a do your job guy or are you a make plays, make mistakes guy? Like, which do you want yeah. on the field? And again, I always get an example of Ryan Shazier, like Luke Fickle just would not pull the trigger on playing Ryan Shazier. And it's like, oh my God, can you just, just live with it? Live with it. It's fine. It's 2011. Stuff's haywire anyway. Just play him. And like, couldn't do it. It's like, oh, like what, what's the downside? What are you getting? So part of that is too, it's not just you. It's, well, what are you? Because if the guy who's supposed to be the do your job guy is also making mistakes, it's like, well, then let's put the, put this guy mm-hmm. in. If we're going to make mistakes anyway, we may as well do it with, with, the the five, with a five-star mm-hmm. young guy who also makes ridiculous individual plays. But if the guys on the field are doing their job, maybe they're a little late to the hole. Maybe they get, you know, they can't keep up in coverage, but they're in the right place. They make the right calls. You know, they, they fill the right gaps. They keep the right leverage, all that kind of stuff. And, well, you know, it's like, okay, you can't just play the athlete. So it's not just a C.J. Hicks conversation. I don't know that we have a, I don't know that we know that about Jim Knowles yet. They sure have loved Tommy Eichenberg. And Tommy Eichenberg, it's not that he's not a good athlete. I don't think he's a C.J. Hicks athlete, but he sure seems like a do-your-job guy. And they love – they all talk about his weight room. They talk about him as a football player. They love that Tommy Eichenberg's leadership and all those things too. So we don't know. Because it's going to be up to Jim Knowles. Ryan Day is not going to tell him to play or not play C.J. Hicks. This is basically one man's decision about this. And so I think a lot of us, Stephen, are sort of with the textures of like, man, I wouldn't mind seeing this guy in the field sooner than later. But I don't think we have a handle on it yet because the guy making the, the playing time decision is in his first year here. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do chicken fingers. From the 614. French Vanilla just got home from our North Carolina beach vacation. Tried Zaxby's, not good. Bad Cane's knockoff with flavorless chicken, terrible coleslaw, and weak Texas toast. Fries were better because of the seasoning. If you opened a franchise here, it would be a loser. Bojangles would be a much better choice to go after. So I also ate at Zaxby's on the trip I was just on. We like made sure we ate at Zaxby's. The thing about Zaxby's, I do agree a little bit that Zaxby's is better in theory than an execution. Because the thing I like about Zaxby's is it's very similar to Kane's, but with a bigger menu. Because it has the chicken fingers, but it also has like wings and boneless wings. And you can get sauces on everything. You can get them on your tenders. Mm-hmm. You can get them on the wings and the boneless wings. And I certainly like Kane's. I think most of the people listening to this like Kane's. It's so basic, and I respect that we do one thing and we do it well. They don't even have salads. Again, Zaxby's has some salads. 
sometimes I just like, I want to go eat your fries and your Texas toast, but I would like an option for a wing sauce or a Cajun sauce or a teriyaki sauce on my tenders every now and then. And so then theoretically, I long for Zaxby's. Kane's tenders are better. I don't, I don't even know that anybody could argue, but they're crispier. There's more breading. They're better. The fries are similar. The toast, I would say, I agree. The toast at Kane's is slightly better, but it's not a huge gap. It's just that when you eat Kane's a lot, it's like sometimes I just mm. want the sauce option. So I think Zaxby's would do well in a Kane's world. And it's funny, also on the trip we were in New York City, when, when I had the wolf, people talking about the wolf of franchises was on. He was talking about how he, we did a fast food podcast on Buckeye Talk. You guys know that. He had never eaten at Cane's because he's in New York City. And he was like, oh, I'll have to eat at Cane's, like when I'm at a Cane's place one time. And then my daughter and I, we were in Times Square. They're opening a Cane's in Times Square. I was like, dude. You can eat a cane. They're opening a Canes Ugh. in Times Square. So Canes continues to take over the world. I think Canes, if, if you said you can have either a Canes or a Zaxby's in your town, and, there's, and the other one's going to be 200 miles away, I think I'd take Canes. But I wish I had both. Because I do like the sauce options. Where are you? Would you like to sauce your Cane's tenders every now and then? Have you had Zaxby's before? I have had Zaxby's a couple of times, yes. The first time I had it is when I went to cover a Kent State Alabama game and found out what real college football looks like. I, I'll i take Zaxby's because I like the options. I think Cane's is dropping the ball not having a chicken sandwich where the bun is made out of the toast. But mm. I'm not going to tell them how to do their job. If they want to hire me to tell them how to do their job, listen – I'm free to make a little bit of money on the side. Yeah. This comes first, though. But if I had to, yeah, I agree. Bojangles is definitely one, and then there's a significant gap. And then Canes and Zaxby's are tra- probably 2A and 2B. So and I'll Bo- put, I'll, I'll, go ahead. What is Bojangles? Well, I'm not that familiar with Bojangles. Is it chicken? It's chicken. It's biscuits. It's bologna. I don't eat the bologna. I just get the chicken biscuit. I should have gotten that. I should have gotten It's amazing. I was on my it's a great time. Okay. A uh, couple Disney questions, if people will indulge me briefly, because by the time you listen to this, I will be walking around Disney World. From the 440, Doug, planning a Disney trip. We stayed at a Disney resort last time, but uh, last time we went and felt it was overpriced for what you get. Any Disney tips, where to stay, who to book through, etc. And another Disney question from the 614, Doug, give us your tips for Walt Disney World vacations. Do you have a best place to stay? Do you use Genie Plus? Have you ever been on a or plan to do other Disney resorts like Tokyo Disney or do a Disney cruise. Why the obsession? Do you secretly have Disney themed tattoos all over your body? All right. I'll try to be quick on this because I know there are some people who do not care about this at all. Again, we have like a question about Nathan to end the podcast Mm. with. We do not have any more football questions. So if you (laughs) don't want to listen to Disney talk for four minutes, you can bail. We're going on a Disney trip. I think Disney is not as good as it was five years ago. The guy in charge of Disney, I think, is running it into the ground. It's a money grab for everything. They used to be able to give you tickets to get on rides quickly, and that was part of your thing. You could just They called them Fast Pass. Hey, you can do a Fast Pass ride so you don't have to wait in huge lines for everything. Now, to be able to get those faster tickets, you have to pay for them, which was you're already paying a huge amount for a Disney vacation. I don't like it. It feels like a money grab to me. Everything's a money grab. I think it's getting – a lot of people think like the Disneyfication of something is like is homogenizing – something cool anyway it's like oh it's disneyfied i actually think disney had a lot of little wrinkles and nooks and things that you can find and those are going away 
it's becoming it's beca- it's becoming there's less things to sort of stumble upon. Everything mm. is just like this is how you do it. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. I still really like it. I still my plan. So my daughter's going to college this year, and so it'll be the first time someone leaves our house. I have talked Stephen for a long time. Stephen, do you have any tattoos? No, but within the next two weeks, I will be. Wow. Wow. You getting a Buckeye Talk tattoo? What are you getting? <laughs> yeah, I'm getting it right on my lower back. No, I'm getting something on my leg. Um, it says, just breathe. Oh, I like it. Yeah. That's good. We'll look forward to that. I would like to get the initials, my wife's initial and the initials of my two daughters on the inside of my forearm so I could just <laughs> look at them. But I want it to be in the Disney script, like the Disney font. Oh. That's dope. So I may actually do it like in Disney because I'm imagining they have tattoo people yeah. out there like, oh, I don't want to go to Westerville and be like, can you do a Disney D? And be like, what are you talking about, you weird old man? So why do I love Disney? I love Disney because there are a lot of very tangible things that come together to make like a great experience. It's clean. Mm-hmm. It's orderly. Um, like I get frustrated when I go to amusement parks and it's like you feel you're waiting in line too long for a pretzel mm. or for every ride. And it's like you look and it's like the people working are like, why aren't you more efficient? They're very efficient about things. And you really still can plan a Disney trip. My main tip about Disney is you have to plan it. A lot of people say, I don't want to have to plan my vacation. I just want to show up and have fun. If you go to Disney and just show up and have fun, you're not going to have as much fun. You have to plan a little bit ahead of time and then you will maximize your fun. The one big thing is you have to plan some meals. You're going to be tired and hot and sitting down for a lunch that you have a reservation for. The character meals are great because now you're getting to do something. Your kids are meeting characters and you're eating. You're accomplishing two things at once because then you could go stand in line to meet a character, but now you're meeting the character. You you sit down in air conditioning and somebody brings you a Diet Coke and they say, Donald Duck's going to be here in 10 minutes. It is such a relief in the middle of a day when you're hot. If you're just like, we don't have any plans. And it's like, oh, it's one o'clock. Let's eat lunch. And now you have to stand in line for a hot dog for 40 minutes. That is frustrating. Plan. Plan ahead. There are all kinds of group like websites and stuff that say, when you go to this park, here's how you should work your way through the park at different times to maximize your time and lower the like. And that sounds crazy to people, but have a plan. Don't just walk in and say, Hey, what ride should we go to? Don't walk in and have zero idea about where you're going to eat. Think about it. You don't have to go crazy, but like you can go to the beach. Just the beach is there. Just go, you go in the water. You don't have to plan to go in the water. That's my main thing. I love the planning, but if you don't plan at Disney, you're just hurting yourself. So that's, that's the main idea. I'll, I'll try to maybe, you know, I could make a little Disney text subscription too, off to the side for Maybe I'll do that. Cause I do like, I do like talking about it. I have a lot of, and I could give a review when we get back. Um, as you talk, as we, this is, I think dropping on Wednesday, I'm in Hollywood studios as you're listening to this. So it's still great. It's not as good as it used to be. And I hope they get it back because it wasn't created to be a money grab. It was intended. It was created to be a family place. That's what Walt Disney wanted. And they are pricing people out. A lot of people are already priced out, but they're going over the top. And I'm very frustrated by it. And if I covered Disney, I would rip the crap out of that guy. His name's Bob Chapik. You can cram it. Okay. And I think staying on property is worth it. Stay at a, I think staying at a lower-priced or mid-priced resort is worth it because you get the bus service. You don't have to drive in and park in the parking lot. It just makes – and it makes it all-encompassing. Like you're thinking – you're in the Disney vibe all the time. It's a, it, it's, it is more expensive – but I think there's value to that because you never have to sort of leave the cocoon then. 
Uh, from the 407, I appreciate you guys so much. I miss Nathan, but I truly love your work. Steven is a budding star. And Doug, I think you'd be my sports writer of the year every year. Thank you again from the 407. I just wanted to say, uh, the 407, is that Disney? Is there a code? Uh, that was nice. Wasn't that nice, Steve? Sometimes it's nice to hear nice things. Yeah, all I read was Steven's a budding star. So I really yeah. appreciate that. Just blacked Everything, out. Yeah. It was like, I only, Doug's what? Nathan who? Nathan yeah. who? From the 330, what do you guys miss most about Nathan? This is our last pod. Here's the plan, by the way. And things could change. The plan is, if this is dropping on Wednesday, uh, Thursday, Stephen will have some kind of recruiting pod, and we have one more last pod saved. One more last pod saved, which is, I think, an excellent pod. It is a Buckeye fly effect. What if C.J. Stroud didn't come to Ohio State? It is all three of us. We have been saving it, and it is the plan for Friday. I am now, I'm gone then. So next week, Nathan is back. Next week, Nathan is back. I have one more pod in the the hopper. It's the Penn State preview. That will drop next week. And then you guys won't hear me for a couple days, but Nathan and Steven will be here potting. Nathan will be back writing. Nathan's leave is over next week. So, Steven. Do you have an idea, like the Thursday pod, do you have an idea of what it might be, or is it going to be recruiting related? It depends what's popping in the recruiting scene for Ohio State. Um, yeah, I don't want to spoil it, one, because we're still locking in some details. and I just don't want to spoil it. But it should be recruiting themed based on a conversation I'm having with somebody surrounding a five-star quarterback who will have been, This is you said this is dropping Wednesday? Yes. Okay, surrounding a five-star quarterback commit who will have been on campus on Tuesday. Okay. That's the hope for that. What do we miss about Nathan? We just miss having someone else to do work. Yeah. (laughs) Just a body. We don't even care that it's Nathan. Just someone else to process or podcast or write a story. No, we miss Nathan. I like Nathan's football opinions. I like Nathan's dry sense of humor. I like his uh, sarcasm. And it's just, I like, I, I like when we're, when we're talking about, it's not that Nathan doesn't know recruiting, but Stephen, when you and I are talking about recruiting, it's like, you carry the load. I ask questions. I think we're good to go. I miss like the third football opinion. It's like, well, I mm-hmm. think this and you think this, but like, what about this? And I think yeah. Nathan's really good at that. So I do miss that. Um, and I do miss like Nathan writes good little stuff, like good little analysis mm-hmm. about the football team. So I think we've missed that. So, and we just miss him. He's a swell fella. Everybody so has their role and we all play our roles well. Yeah. So when someone's missing, it hurts. So he, we will, we will eagerly welcome him back. We will eagerly uh, anticipate stories about his new son and how everything is going. He just had his first father's day, which is very yeah. exciting. So again, the plan is that we have the rest of this week planned out. Probably next Monday will be the Penn State preview unless stuff happens. But then next week, I think, Stephen, you guys may be talking about some recruiting commits because Ohio State is looking at this official visitor weekend coming up and there mm-hmm. may be some stuff popping. I don't know that you guys will lack for content either on the site or on the pods because there may be some news, right? Definitely done a lot of pre-writing. So, uh, yeah, I saw him in there. We should, we should reveal to the people. That, we should text that out. Steven has like five headlines and yes. stories ready to go. We'll see if all his uh, predicted commitments happen. So, and then I'll be back. I think I'll be back on the pod like next Friday. 
probably. So there'll be like three pods where it's Steven and Nathan holding it down. Um, but we, again, we're excited to have Nathan back. We're glad he had this time with his wife and with their baby. And that is really important. And we are uh, proud and glad that our company gives that time to new parents. So congratulations to the Bairds. Thanks to you guys for listening. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. Try the texts at 614-350-3315. For Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>